welcome to the Haunted Davenport Podcast. We're here to discuss retro horror and some sci-fi television series. We'll also be discussing a few Halloween specials over the years, and uh, we'll also discuss some made-for-television movies as they come up that are worthy of note. My co-hosts tonight are Drew, my husband, Andy, my brother, and our good friend Chris. My name's Allison, and I welcome you to our Davenport, where we are broadcasting from Portland, Oregon. All right, guys. Hi, everyone. (laughs) That was Chris. (laughs) For reference, yeah. So, since this is our first episode, and so people can get a feel for who we are and what we like as far as um, retro television and these genres, I thought we could talk a little bit about um, some of our favorite... uh, early television experiences with horror and sci-fi, especially with horror in particular. I think that's going to be more of our focus for the show. But um, just, you know, things you might like to cover in the future and uh, maybe any particular moments you remember where television scared you as a child. I know I have I have a couple stories. Oh, uh, yeah. I think at one point Sesame Street probably scared me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which which aspect? Full of monsters. Oh, I don't know. Well, maybe not Sesame Street. Oh, no. There was like a stop motion Sesame Street thing with this. And it wasn't Big Bird, but it was a bird in a nest and it moved weird. And it did. Mm, yeah. It moved very weirdly. And and I remember just really disturbing me as a kid. Like, <laughs> well, stop motion can be kind of creepy just on its own. Yeah. yeah. If not done really well. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Or, if done really well, can be very creepy. (laughs) Right. You know, but Star Wars didn't scare me. Yeah. Like, whenever they did stop motion. On... Oh, with the monsters? Yeah. Oh. Like, um, the Tauntauns. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the Rancor and all that. Oh, the Rancor was scary. We're a few minutes in and it's already degenerated into Star Wars conversation. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) We're in trouble. (laughs) Well, you know your audience, (laughs) or your crowd now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, so I guess on that note, I'll tell a Doctor Who story, since, you know. There you go. Get around, round out the nerdiness. Yeah. Um, So, when I was about, I think it was between the ages of three and four, so probably about three and a half, and um, I would, in the afternoon, I'd watch uh, Sesame Street, and uh, I think Captain Kangaroo would come on. It was all, whatever came on Oregon Public Broadcasting mm-hmm. in the afternoon in the early 80s. They Captain Kangaroo still? Yeah, yeah, they did, because oh, I wow. remember I loved the bunny, and he'd make the carrots rain. I totally but... grew up on that. Yeah. So... You guys in your northern parts of Oregon TV. <laughs> I was down in the boondocks, and we were lucky to like get He-Man, you know? Oh, <laughs> man. On, on OPV? No, not on OPV, okay. just, <laughs> just in general. I was going to say, that never happened. No, so, so it was, I'd be sitting in, in our little TV room, and we had one of those sets where you had to turn the dial, and the dial was broken, so there was just a little tiny knob, and you had to turn it, with either tweezers or just have really good manual dexterity, which three-and-a-half-year-old me did not have. <laughs> and immediately after the kids' shows, Doctor Who, the uh, 70s Tom Baker version of Doctor Who, would come on, and the theme intro um, 
would just if anybody's ever heard that you can definitely look that up it's some fun it's music great. it's kind yeah. of psychedelic and it's got this weird music and his dismembered floating head through like space and time and <laughs> yeah. it would scare me so bad that i would just be paralyzed and i would scream at the tv and nobody could ever figure out why i wouldn't just leave the room i know laugh at me little brother sorry. <laughs> you weren't there it was terrifying and he also you know he had kind of big poofy hair and i didn't know what the show was about i just knew that there was a dismembered head and creepy music he has huge eyes yeah. Huge eyes, very expressive. Well, so. I didn't know, I could, I, I didn't want to get close enough to the TV to try to turn it off, and I wouldn't try to turn it off or change the channel beforehand because I didn't want to miss any of my shows, you know, and so yeah. so I would just sit in there and cry and scream until somebody was going to turn it off for me, or sometimes I'd run out of the room, but, you know, you had to get close to the TV to get out the door, so it was all terrifying, and luckily... My mom had the wisdom to make me actually just sit through an episode of the show, and then I realized, oh, the show's not scary. So I was still a little creeped out, but I was more okay. You know, there was a robot dog. I didn't really know what else was going on, but there was a robot dog, and nobody nobody was having anything horrible happen Young to Young Allison them. was sold on a robot dog. Yeah, yeah. That's all well, she I needed. I was little. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that and the emergency broadcast signal used to just send me running out of the room if it came on the TV set. I heard that on the radio the other day. Oh, it, it, it has. I, still I, heard it, I heard it on the radio, like, I was, at, I was at work, and then it came over the radio and given current situations. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. It came on yeah. the other day, and it was on the radio and the TV at the exact same time. Oh, yeah. And it was, was like, terrifying. Yeah, at work, no. and it was like... It was the routine test. It was the same exact noise and the same exact <laughs> muffled voice that you can't tell what they're saying. And it was the same <laughs> on the TV. It was the same horrible, like early dot matrix like mm -hmm. font oh, telling you what's going oh, on no. with like that hideous not like blue screen blue but like that kind of teal blue yeah green muppet and, color and you and know you, and you thought we'd gone to death con one yeah <laughs> and it's like you're looking at it and um my coworker and i were discussing that like that's the only way to get people's attention anymore like yeah. if you actually like did a brand new thing people would go oh yeah whatever yeah. Yeah. Thing. But you like yeah. bring back, you're like, wait, what is this? Well, What's got, going on it's, here? It's like an arid siren. It's yeah, like yeah, it takes overtones. you back. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't as freaked out by it. I was in the car, I think, the last time I heard it, and it was just recently. And in past years when it's not been a test, it's usually like an amber alert or mm. a tsunami warning. And, right. you know, we don't live on the coast, so that's not as terrifying. But right. yeah, I understand. We're not in a flood zone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The insurance agents told us we weren't. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to watch the rest of Portland float away. No, <laughs> no, that's horrible. Don't say that. Anyway, um, yeah, does anybody else have any favorite shows or any creepy moments? I know, Andy, you were talking about, what's the name of that movie? It was, I have it pulled up here. <laughs> it is um, Merlin's Shop of Mystical Wonders. Uh, which does not, and I believe this is why I was allowed to see this as a child, that title does not imply a horror film. No. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and the thing that sticks out about it, there's two um, stories told in it. The first is uh, a man with, uh, uh, it's inconsequential, but he, he screws up and turns himself into a baby using Merlin's spellbook. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, and uh, the second one is... Uh, 
I, I found out later very closely based on a Stephen King short story called The Monkey. Um, but it has a symbol-playing, wind-up mechanical um, monkey figurine that's apparently possessed by some evil spirit, and whenever the symbols collapse, something dies near it. I think um, all of those monkeys are that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think most people have been frightened of those monkeys as a ch- child, which yeah. is probably why they're in multiple horror scenarios. Well, and, and, My and mom in, had one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in, in, My grandpa had one. In this particular movie, there's... There's a sequence where, you know, it's, it's pretty classic horror stuff, um, and it involves the family dog, which is, you know, there's never a good sign if they kill the dog off. Um, but, you know, it's like it shows this dog wandering into this room that's on fire, and then it cuts to, it cuts to a, like, a tight close-up of the monkey, and its eyes are glowing red, and you see the symbol slowly <laughs> winding back, and the smoke's building up in this room, and the dog, like, passes out in there, and it gets, uh, and it gets higher, and the strings are going, and then, you know, it claps, and you're like, oh, they killed the dog, and four-year-old me is just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, not having any of that. Have you um, rewatched this recently, or is it just that ingrained in your brain? It, no, it, it burned in my brain, <laughs> although I did see it later on Mystery Science Theater yeah, 2000. Yeah, they, they did a Mystery Science Oh, really? Yeah. Which took a oh. lot of the edge off. Mm. I think they do comment on how creepy it is, though. If I remember, it's been a while since <coughs> I've seen that one, but I, I remember Yeah, even, even Mystery Science Theater I haven't seen in probably ten years at this point. Um, Still holds up. It, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Still. Um, but that's that is probably the earliest memory I have of horror, you know, scaring the pants off me. Um, there was stuff that creeped me out as a kid. I was a skittish little kid, and I grew mm. up with things like "Are You Afraid of the, the Dark?" and Goosebumps, yes. which we also which... Re- reviewed earlier tonight. <laughs> yeah. Sort of does not hold up well. <laughs> <laughs> But we will be covering some Are You Afraid of the Dark, I think, down the road. An impromptu warm-up this morning as I cooked dinner was was Are You Afraid of the Dark. Or not Are You Afraid of the Dark, sorry, Goosebumps. Goosebumps. Part three of Night of the Living Mummy. Mm. (laughs) Dummy? Dummy. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, that's like Dummy. Yeah. What about you, Drew? What was that? Um, Growing up, my house, um, we watched comedies, and uh, I watched MTV with my dad. And so, like, there wasn't really horror growing up. In fact, my mom was, as a kid, frightened of the witch in the movie Wizard of Oz. So when we would watch The Wizard of Oz, like, once a year, it would always be on television. I think it was, like, a Thanksgiving thing or something. Yeah, I remember that. But, yeah, once a year, they'd always play The Wizard of Oz. And any time the witch would come on screen, we'd always have a giant thing of popcorn popped pre- movie and my mom would have us throw popcorn at the screen (laughs) so that we were like involved and not afraid Mm. and like i was never afraid in the first place because i don't know like the like commercials commercials were scarier than the wicked witch at that point in time you know they had like weird creepy halloween commercials and stuff they're way scarier than the wicked witch of the west Although, you know, she's still got some creepiness to her. But yeah, it was, to me, it was just like, all right, we get to throw popcorn around the room now. Yeah, mom said so. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't really watch horror until like later on in my life when I got a TV in my bedroom. And then that was just um, whatever was on late at night and I was able to stay up and pretend I was sleeping. Oh. And now my parents are listening to this. Pretend to be sleeping and then then watch rated R movies and then like uh, yeah so probably any horror movies didn't really start until I was twelve or thirteen or and at that point I was kind of old enough to start watching horror movies kind of yeah (laughs) Yeah. right I mean for me I guess like I I just grew up with 
horror in the household just all the time. So, I mean, but there was stuff on TV. I remember there was a, not the Disney Beauty and the Beast, but there was a Beauty and the Beast cartoon that I think played on OPB. Uh, and it was terrible. You know, he comes out and he's like, and he's scary and terrified me. Absolutely terrified me. But um, if I was better at handling other stuff, at least later on, uh, I remember there was uh, St- uh, Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories. Oh, yeah. That wasn't always horror, but mm-hmm. I think occasionally had those kind of... So that was that was something I grew up with. And uh, uh, I think Jim, Jim Henson's Story Hour was another one that... Not oh, always, this, yeah, that's serious. Or the storyteller, yeah, yeah, that was a yeah. good one. Not always, uh, not always horror, but had some kind of intense moments here and there. So, I just, uh, I just gravitated. <laughs> that. I've always been a horror fan, and so uh, we watch uh, Tales from the Crypt, of course. That was always good. Which we'll also be talking about. Yeah. At some point. Definitely. At some point, definitely. It's a great... Yeah. It's, it's, um, I, I haven't watched that in a while, so I don't know how well it holds up. But to me, it seems like it probably was really timeless. You know? Yeah, I think it depends on the episode, but yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, the, the mention of watching MTV with your dad reminded me of watching MTV with our dad, Andy and, and my dad. When I was little, there was this television oh. show called the half hour comedy hour um on mtv and i think oh, it was I pretty that. short yeah. do you remember this it's so that. they went one time and 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 our dad loved it and i think andy you were probably either about to be born or just born because i would have been probably about so seven you remember. or eight yeah yeah, yeah you remember <laughs> so so we were sitting there watching it and i wasn't really watching a lot of sesame street anymore but you know childhood things near and dear and they had this segment where it was nightmare on sesame street and (laughs) cookie monster is a zombie and he wants brains instead of cookies and at one point bert attacks ernie and sticks a straw in his head and like drinks out of his head (laughs) i could be misremembering this because i have not seen it i tried to find it actually one time i was kind of looking for it on youtube i thought somebody must have uploaded this somewhere because it's so demented and it's just you know it was sesame street puppets gone wrong and it and it left an impression on me and I remember just feeling kind of like my childhood was was being molested or something you know I was just kind of traumatized like this show isn't funny anymore so if anyone's listening to this and has a copy of that please send it to Allison (laughs) so she can relive her nightmares of her childhood yeah yeah good time I I love to see that I just like to see it personally yeah totally yeah no honestly I think now you know it would be funny, but I, I haven't seen it since. I thought for sure you were gonna, I thought for sure you were gonna talk about the story of uh, your dad taunting you with the Tom Petty "May You Rest in Peace." Uh, oh, the video. music video. Yeah. The don't don't come around don't here come no around more. Here oh, no where more. it's <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. That's such a great video. But yeah, they they she turns into a cake. And they and eat her. Spoilers yes. alert. For a music video. <laughs> oh, so in case you've never seen Tom Petty's music video for Don't Come Around Here No More. No, but he used to walk around the house and he'd say, cut the cake. You know. Oh. We love you, Dad. Hi, Dad. Cut. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> anyway. I don't know. Did anybody have anything they wanted to add? 
before we talk about our feature for for this episode? No, nothing that springs to mind, but maybe later. Well, <laughs> you, know, there, you can always add anything in you from the time. <laughs> I, I, we've spoken of rules about this, but I don't think there's any set. They're guidelines. There's the no guidelines. rules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, since we are, you know, broadcasting our pilot episode and hoping the networks don't give us the boot, we thought we would cover a pilot episode that's near and dear to my heart, which is the pilot episode of Night Gallery. pilot it's about an hour and a half long and it has three segments all of them written by Rod Serling and it originally aired in November of 1969 Um, (laughs) the three segments for the pilot episode um, are the cemetery eyes and escape route and we're going to talk about each one of these episodes in depth and uh, if you've never seen Night Gallery, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, the entire three seasons that ran from 1970 to 73 are all available currently to watch on Hulu. Um, the pilot is not on Hulu, however, so if you really want to see that, I recommend um, uh, renting it online or possibly picking it up. If uh, retro horror television from the 70s is your thing and you haven't already seen Night Gallery, I really don't think a DVD purchase on Amazon would be a waste of money. Um, but anyway, I'm going to talk and about a little bit of... it's not that spendy, right? I mean, no, no. It. I mean, and there's lots of different places where you can purchase well, it. And you can purchase say, one season or all the seasons. I would say if you like that horror anthology kind of movies every it seems like you get one of those every few yeah, years or something. right and if you like yeah like there's the uh tales from the dark side movie which is awesome but uh if you like that kind of here's three stories in an hour and a half movie uh it's great right because the pilot essentially is in an hour and a hour and a half movie yeah. anthology yeah. it plays the same way it just it was a pilot for a tv show so yeah so, a little background about Night Gallery, if you're not already familiar with it. Um, it originally began at, towards the end of 1969, and it was created by Rod Serling of Twilight Zone fame. And it's a horror anthology series. Each episode usually had a couple different um, stories in it, depending on how it was aired on the network. And this was something that... I grew up hearing about and then wanting to see and then at some point there was a revival screening on TV and I was able to see the pilot and some other episodes and I was immediately hooked and then later when I was living out on my own I went and uh, rented a bunch of the DVDs from our local video store back when I was living in Eugene and went through the entire series and I have to say as someone who's seen every single episode um, it's definitely uneven but there are some really, really quality productions as far as story and visuals, and they've got have um, an amazing cast throughout the series. There's 
you know, some really great guest directors that come on, and it was really quality television, I think. I know a lot of people said that as far as the writing, it didn't compare as well as The Twilight Zone, but um, there was there were some background struggles between Rod Serling and uh, one of the other producers, uh, I believe his name was Jack Laird. Um, he wanted to do a little bit more camp and make it more goofy. Yeah, and Rod Sterling wanted just to tell quality storytelling and you know, he a lot of his episodes are retellings of HP Lovecraft and you know, there's there's a lot of classic literature worked in and a little bit of speculative fiction and they're a lot more thoughtful and and I actually enjoy some of the campy stuff that Laird threw in there as well. I do like the cheeky stuff. I because you guys have never seen any no, other. No, I've never seen. This no. is the first time you've watched it. I've seen a few of them as well. I haven't seen all of them, like Allison, but uh, some of the cheeky ones there, I like them. It's just kind of a fun romp, and they're usually the shorter yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, there's a great one later on down the road. Maybe we'll cover that episode or something with John Carradine in it called mm-hmm. Surprise. And it's, um, it's one of my favorites. It's one of the cheekiest of all of the cheeky episodes. <laughs> it's great. But it's definitely one to check out. I think that one is on, you said, the the pilot series It's on the DVD. first. It's on the first season. We actually, uh, you know, in order to cover it and just because we wanted to own it, um, we picked up the first season. And that's, I don't think it originally aired in the first season, but right. it's included on the first season DVD if you're picking it up as, you know, each season goes along. But, um, yeah, it's I, I definitely recommend if, if this seems like your kind of thing and you like, you know, some good... Some good storytelling and, you know, a little bit of camp and some genuinely creepy and unsettling moments. I recommend mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm, um, definitely. So let's let's talk about uh, the first segment of this is called The Cemetery, and it stars Roddy McDowell and Ozzie Davis. And Ozzie Davis is amazing. The Oh, and, and also, uh, I don't remember if I mentioned earlier, but we are, because... Um, this aired in 1969 and it is available out there to watch. We are going to go into spoilers. So, you know, if you haven't seen this, I really recommend checking it out first and stop coming back to this now. later. <laughs> yeah. 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 Come, yeah. Stop listening and go watch it. Come back and yeah. So, so the, the cemetery is, uh, about a, um, greedy young man who descends upon that, uh, wealthy household of his uncle and his uncle is ailing and this man Helps him along in his ailment from being just sickly. He kills to, him. Yeah, to his deathbed. <laughs> it's and, it's a sneaky way around and it. And I'm also of the belief that he probably altered that will. Yeah, you think I so? Think, I think there's subtle hints that I, he altered the will. True, and then also maybe even mm-hmm. bumped off his mother. Because like, the stipulations of the will then say right. when his uncle dies, the money goes to his mother, and then his mother, if she's not alive, then it goes to him. There is, though, the stipulation that, um, oh god, they say his last name so many times, Ozzie Davis. Oh, Portafoy. Uh, Portafoy, yes. So let me, I haven't, I haven't talked right. about I the butler. Let me get right. a little further in the synopsis, and then, then we'll go. But, because just, I don't want anybody to be confused right. as to what mm-hmm. we're talking about. Um... I mean, of course, although you should have watched this already, so you wouldn't be confused, <laughs> even though we're, you know, jumping in and 
all over the place. Derailed again. Yeah. So the the uh, the young the young man in question is uh, played by Roddy McDowell, and there is a loyal family butler played by Ozzie Davis, who is uh, called Portafoy, and. Um, after the uncle dies, uh, Roddy McDowell's character likes to, uh, taunt Ozzie Davis's character and just generally be an obnoxious pain. And he noticed a painting that his uncle had previously done of the part of the family property featuring the family cemetery is starting to change Mm -hmm. and, and it progresses from, uh, to fresh earth dug in the cemetery, to a coffin emerging, to a man emerging from the coffin, and it's a play the by door. play of yeah. a resurrection of his uncle, who he bumped off. Yes, and we yeah we, we should mention that the it's stated in this uh, the uncle's passion in life is his only joy was his painting. Right, and he had a a, a certain preoccupation with death, mm-hmm. um, especially right. towards the end of his life, and this uh, this cemetery painting. In specific features prominently and his last painting that he actually finished i believe mm-hmm. they say and also indeed his last view in life yeah he that's was, true he, he was set when up facing he, this very right, cemetery when he was off mm-hmm. yeah so it would go to figure that obviously he's going to haunt this painting yes <laughs> and that's what he does he haunts the painting and you know so we we don't know we don't know much about roddy mcdowell's backstory his character if you know, his character had previously done in his mother so that he could be the next in line to inherit or any of that. But he seems like the sort of person who would. Mm. Yeah. It seemed very interesting to me once I realized that Roddy McDowell was not playing a British person. Oh, yeah. Because I was was like, oh, he's kind of doing a southern accent. Is he still... No, I guess he's like straight southern. He's he's vaguely southern in this. Yeah. Yeah. It's the the, the high fancy southern, you know? Yes. The the overly... I do declare. It's... it's... (laughs) The southern of I'm going above my my station in life. I'm I'm gonna pretend to be fancier and glorified. Yeah. That kind of of a of a voice. He's has... been drinking in a Tennessee Williams place. So yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, rolled, yeah, he yeah, rolled yeah. into this story. Yeah, <laughs> like a cat on a hot tin roof. It's the, sure. the dialogue in that one is really really good. It's just that. Southern, oh, it's definitely the best. Southern Gothic, just mm-hmm. refined. For that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. The others are great. <laughs> they are. They are. They are very good. Yeah. No, I I have to say this is my favorite of the three by a mile. Yeah. I also love the painting in question. It's oh yeah. Just well, so good. If, if anybody knows where these paintings ended up, by the way, the night gallery painting is yes. from the pilot, let us know because, you know. We're just interested. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> yeah, we can't afford them, but we're interested. We're, we're going to pull that money. Make us yeah. prints, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, mainly I say and know that, you know, it's my favorite because I've seen them all before, but when we rewatched them today, uh, the other two, I had to like remember what happened i was like oh oh yes that's right that's right that's right and i'd catch it as it was coming but this one from opening you know scene i remembered the entire episode knew the beginning the middle the end um other than i remembered the ending just slightly differently but other than that for some reason i I thought we saw uh roddy mcdowell at the very end Oh. But you don't. Yeah. yeah and that, that is one thing I wanted to mention about this, actually, that the 
all of the tension and the terror in this this segment of it um you never see what's tormenting these people you it's it, the, the use of sound and implication based on the paintings is oh yeah just wonderful um and i think you know they, they, they must have filmed this entire episode probably you know in three rooms in a graveyard outside it's very tight yeah. the whole oh, thing right. yeah. 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 yeah and it's it's lots of just smash cuts and intense looking faces yeah. on Roddy McDowell. Perfect extreme close-ups on him, yeah. Yes, oh man. Has the the expressions he can make or could make um, were amazing. I think his performance really, really pulls, as much as I love Ozzie Davis, <laughs> love him, um, I feel like Ozzie Davis wasn't the biggest thing in this, obviously. It's, no, it was but, all... But I think his... Um stoicism and his dignity right. is is so well played in that. Right. And you're rooting for him though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're definitely. enjoying the hell out well, of Ronnie yeah. McDowell, but you're you're rooting for him to get his and for Portafoy to to be victorious. Roddy McDowell eats all of the scenery and then mm. comes back for seconds. <laughs> yes. Really the great over actors. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh it's great though, but mm-hmm. I, I He's great with his eyes, because if you remember oh, he's that, amazing. he's, yeah. he's Cornel. I love Roddy McDowell, especially from being a fan of the Planet of the Apes series. And uh, in the Planet of the Apes series, his, his face is almost always just covered up by so much prosthetics, but so much comes across from his eyes. Yeah. So uh, he's, it's, he's definitely... It's definitely... You, you couldn't even imagine to be able to make... A person looks sympathetic while wearing a monkey mask. <laughs> right? Yeah. But he did it. He was so sympathetic and, mm-hmm. you know, he was he was pouring out emotions in a freaking monkey mask. It, you right. know, like yeah. the the man could 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 express well. Uh, hmm. also I I very early on realized uh I'm throwing all of my clothes out tomorrow and uh I'm going shopping for everything in his wardrobe. He's, he's so, going to go for the Roddy McDowell line. Oh, man. It's so good. It's so, like, late 60s, early 70s, flamboyant. Big uh, Victorian. Cravats, yeah. big collars. Puffy shirts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to get everything in Paisley. Yeah. <laughs> there oh, is a store great. in Portland that has all of those things. In fact, several somewhere, you know? I've oh, sure, seen, yeah. seen it. So, but it's so it's, it's so good. Each new thing, it was like I want the tie. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Anybody else want to add anything about this segment before we move on to the next one? Oh, I I think there's still things to talk about. Yeah, there's, there's the a lot to talk about. I don't um, know how in depth you guys want to go. I mean, the painting just on its own was fantastic. Because mm-hmm. I mean. There's so often, as an artist, um, when I'm watching any kind of, and it's it's usually in horror films that they'll have some kind of painting being a focus because paintings can be creepy. Yes, it's not right. too often you like have a love story and it's like, oh, and then there's this painting on the wall. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no right. nothing says I love you like staring at a painting. But um, yeah, so in a lot of horror films and things, I always get really upset when they have paintings that's supposed to be like uh, somebody's ancestor from 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, you look the spitting image of her. Mm-hmm. And it's some <laughs> stick figure in the middle of like, you know, a cow eating grass field. 
and it doesn't look anything like them, and I just always get upset. I'm like, how could you not find one <laughs> decent artist? Mm. Like, there's there's, so there's some there's some guy on your crew painting mats for you in the background, <laughs> chomping at the bit to become a real artist someday. Totally. And he could have done you such a better painting than this piece of crap you just hung on the wall and <laughs> said looks like, you know, the famous actress that everyone knows exactly what she looks like. But the paintings in this show are really well done paintings. Mm. Like somebody took the time, which is why we were saying, if you know where these paintings are, we want to know. Or where Andy, you were saying that, you, that there's the one in the background with the the horse in the field. Oh yeah, the the, the, the white the, horse, and it's it's actually a really kind of nice painting. Yeah, and there's it, it it they never focus on it. It's never in a still shot this horse, but there's a white horse on a dark field with a dark sky and a ray of sunshine shining down on it. And I'm, I don't know if it's supposed to symbolize something, but I really like it. Better it's time. Better time. It's the happiest painting. It is, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think the portrait of the uncle is nice as well. I mean, it definitely looks very similar to the right. actor. Yeah, I think it. the new version of that, though, where you have, like, bad paintings is, in modern movies, is we took a photo of the actor and ran it through a Photoshop filter, and now it looks like a painting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Add some texture to that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the painting in this one um, was... In all of them, they all feature a painting. And, I mean, it's it's Night Gallery. It's a show about paintings that are symbolic of things bad that happened, you know. But um, this one, the painting takes the most... Uh, scenery, you know, mm -hmm. it's the most predominant because the whole—it's kind of a character, right? It's it's a character yeah. in this vignette or this scene, whatever you want to call it, which it comes to life. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess should we should we move on to the the twist in this episode? The twist, yeah, yeah. Because, so... because, because we should say that as as the episode progresses, you know, we say the the painting is sort of a play by play of what Roddy McDowell uh, believes is happening. He sees his. You know, the, the open grave and then a buried casket and then his uncle, you know, coming out of the gravestone is painting and it's changing as he's, you know, leaving the room and he comes back and the painting's different and he thinks he's going crazy and Ozzie Davis's character does not seem, uh, you know, to notice. So well, there's even it. the one scene where in the morning, Ozzie Davis's character says, what's wrong with the painting? You go back and it's the original painting. Yeah. Mm. It goes oh, yeah. back to right. there's no right. no open grave, no nothing there. So Well, that's after you know. he's burned the painting in the fireplace. Right, that's yeah. true. Too, so he's really And so he, he, yeah. he chalks it up to its imagination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> right. It must be imagination. And it, it, yes, and it turns out the, the twist for this episode is that there are actually several different paintings that uh, Ozzie Davis's character had commissioned with the intent of driving Roddy McDowell mad, uh, which it did successfully, and he... Uh, Not he... just driven mad, but so mad, he had to throw a painting downstairs with himself. Yes, yes. He... And break his neck. Yeah, yeah. he broke his neck out down on a flight of stairs. That's which like... is why earlier I was saying, I don't think he tampered with the will, because the will also had the part where... Uh, oh, that's right. Foy, if everybody's dead. Uh, if everyone else dead. can't yeah. collect, then it goes to his faithful uh, caretaker. Yes. That's true. Which would make sense that a... Because then he's got that plan from the start. Right. Well, and, oh, and yeah, being, that makes a lot of sense. Being the kind of person he is, he would immediately be suspicious of the butler. 
because that's well, something exa- he would do. So right. he would have he not well, kept him on staff. He obviously didn't read that far into yeah. the list. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He just got to the part where I get the money, and he stopped reading and started planning ways to bump off the uncle. Well, well that's what, yeah, that's what I thought through the whole with Roddy McDowell's every interaction with every single person. I was like, you're not being you're not being subtle about this. No. <laughs> right. It's yeah, all yeah, yeah. subtle. He was still always kind of in his legal limits. Yes. Like if anything, he knew his his limit. <laughs> he knew a line that he couldn't cross. <laughs> well, and the uncle had had a stroke, so he couldn't, and he wasn't able to speak any longer. So it wasn't like he could say anything. Right. He, he was trapped his in his own body, right, and being right. tortured mentally by this guy. And it sounded like he'd had several strokes before, so... Mm. Yeah. Right? Awful. Uh, we got a lot of enjoyment out of the music. I think the music in this... I, mm. I even wrote yeah. down the, the composer. Uh, and I'll find it later, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, I got more than one page of notes. I did. I, I Each each story had its page of notes. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but the composer really... Uh, the music in this is really good, and there's lots of ear candy if you're into... And there was that weird Moog kind of... It, yeah. Moog. I was trying to figure that out. Yeah. yeah it was a... I don't think it was a theremin, because it was so precise. It had an exact tone yeah. to yeah. it. Well, it, it it's it, like a harpsichord. Well... It was definitely electronic style. Right. It sounded to me something like if you auto tuned a theremin. Right. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, but I I don't know if that's a thing you can do. But it was it was so exact each time that it had to be a not a pre necessarily pre recorded but definitely a functioning key as opposed to anything that is a variable. Yeah. Right. See, at first I thought it might have been one of those, like, 60s combo organs, like, right. where you hear on, like, you know, Gata De Vida and all the door stuff. But the more I thought about it, I thought it could be an early Moog, or, uh, at the time, there was, Moog was in, I think, I think, New York? Um, and then there was a guy on the West Coast, Don Buchla, who was also doing synthesis work. Right. And so, this being presumably filmed in California, maybe, maybe it was, uh, one of Buchla's early... Yeah, but it's a very interesting sound, yeah. kind of distorted, kind of yeah. modulated, <laughs> quirky. Somebody's geekier than us will totally be able to figure it out. <laughs> it really like, is. The second they hear it, yeah. they'll hear it and they'll tell you exactly I what do model it is. <laughs> well, there's there's something very there's there's something very neat about that late '60s, early '70s period as far as with with horror that has a gothic tone to it. It's it's gothic, but it's 70s gothic. So mm-hmm. it's got a little bit of a psychedelic twinge to it. And right. I just eat that up. I just love that so much. And so it's, it's evident in the sound and in, like, the colors people are wearing. And, you know, down to, like, the cocktail glasses that people are drinking out of. And, and the, the, the garish wallpaper in the background. That's a, 70s flamboyant yeah. old Victorian. Well, so that's exactly what crossed my mind in this because the setting is so great it's so colorful uh in the middle of it i thought because i'm sure this was sort of like oh it's like twilight zone but in color you know Mm -hmm. and and it looks bright in color but the it's shot so well like all those closely lit shots of Mm, Roddy mcdowell great lighting too yeah Yeah. the contrast and everything and i thought i thought oh man I kind of would like to see this in black and white, you know, and and I'll bet they had that in mind for 
people who still had black and white yeah. TVs at the time. Well, they did that a lot back then, is they would still have super dramatic lighting because of the fact that a lot of people still had black and white TVs. It's kind of like early talkie films, when people oh. are still... Per, uh, they're uh, still projecting oh, voices right. like they're, they're on stages ch- yeah. right. because they haven't figured out the subtleties of microphones yet, yeah. and right. they're like, they're so like, oh well, it's it's that. a it's a performance you can hear, so we have to talk like we're performing on the stage. Just <laughs> yeah, gesticulating wildly and everything. Yeah, yeah, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Right. And uh, I guess ra- wrapping this uh, this segment of it up, the after the twist ending. There's her- the double twist. The double twist, where in Ozzie Davis, right. who is just as smugly as Roddy McDowell, you know, basically confessing to murdering this person and, uh, and getting such a just a such a character twist too. Yeah, because yes. he's so stoic, so on the button up and prim and proper, and at mm. the end, he's in the same freaking like the paisley dinner jacket <laughs> yeah, at the exactly. end, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, he wanted the same lavish lifestyle. He was waiting for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, a- after he sees his painting friend off, who had, who had helped him uh, set up, you know, the, the driving mat of Roddy McDowell, he starts to hear things, and he notices the very same painting on the wall that drove Roddy McDowell mad. Uh, only this time, he doesn't leave the room and the painting changes. It's changing before his eyes. Right. It is. So there's no trickery involved here. Yes. Rodney McDowell, old old nephew, has come back from the grave and is seeking his revenge. Yes, well, it kind of looks like a. Do things fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's definitely living a life. So. Kind of looks a little bit like a beetle when he comes back. Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's like, because there's several scenes, and like when he when he first comes out of the grave, and when he's up at the door, he definitely is beetle-esque. But there's one of the middle ones where I think they really captured Roddy McDowell's yeah. yes. image. There's like, there's like, you're like, okay, yeah, it's kind of impressionistic. It's kind of good. And it's like, bam, Roddy McDowell right there. Totally. Like, that's the one. Yeah, and the, uh, and the the final shot shows the door opening, the front door to the mansion opening uh, into blackness. We never actually see any of the, the zombified people that have died. And that's where I was confused, because I could have swore I saw a zombified Roddy McDowell, but I think there's... Is there another movie? I think there's which... a different Roddy McDowell movie <laughs> where he's zombified. Well, I think it's been a while since since I've seen it, but I think there's a Tales from the Crypt episode where somebody comes out of the cemetery, or if there's actually probably a few... Where you see zombified right. people at the door in kind yeah. of a gothic manner. Type, Somebody type either scenario. ripped this off or, well... It's I mean, been a while, but... Yeah. There's multiple stories of somebody coming back from well, the grave after being done wrong. It's kind of like a classic... I mean, it's... You guys were mentioning when we were watching it that it had a, a, a Poe feel, you know, kind of like... Instead of the telltale heart, it's the telltale painting. Yeah, and, yeah very. And... But it also has an EC Comics feel. You know, everybody gets their comeuppance, mm-hmm. and it's a little oh, over yeah. the top. And, you know, especially with the, the show being in color, it's got, got kind of a, you know, a pulp comic vibe yeah. to it as well. And, and you know, that was the origin for Tales from the Crypt. So I, I, think, I think there's there's some scenes, at least in at least one episode, that are kind of reminiscent of this. And I don't necessarily know... That it was borrowing from Night Gallery as much as it's just borrowing from that kind of concept. Right, borrowing from the age-old story. It, everything is a remix. Right? Yeah, right. nothing stays buried. How many? There's some out there. How many stories there are that yeah, are being rewritten? Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, Ozzy Davis unfortunately gets his up and comings. Yeah, he he does he not won't. make it out with the family fortune, which which most of us feel he had earned at this point. Yeah. Um, Makes you wonder who gets it. Yeah. Oh, it goes to a charity or something. There's probably. a small dog that wasn't mentioned. Oh yeah, sitting on a well. somewhere <laughs> with it's a paintbrush in his next mouth. door neighbor, like in a shack. No. <laughs> my, my ship's called him. <laughs> Just uneducated. <laughs> the, probably the caretaker for the cemetery, I guess. No, oh, the grave digger. Yeah, those, those two grave, those two grave diggers. diggers are set for life. <laughs> now. That's that. Yeah, that's the deleted scene. Is them they both come in through the front door and high five. <laughs> they just keep getting paid as long as people keep dying in the house. And that is that's one thing I noticed in contrasting this with uh, something like the Twilight Zone is the Twilight Zone didn't always have a, a moralistic bent to it, but all three of these little vignettes always had like, oh, you know, this is you know they did something bad and they they got their their poetic justice for it in the end. All three of them. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. very easy. Twilight easy Zone was always a little more. As well. uh, you know, conceptual. You yeah, know. it was it was it more was, speculative. Right. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. There was a lot of social commentary in those, but then but then there's right. the Burgess Meredith episode where it's like he didn't do anything wrong. He just wants to read, and then, then yeah, sometimes bad things happen. Yeah. That's yeah. Just the way yeah it is. Exactly. Yeah. There there will be which if if people want to cover it down the road, there's a Burgess Meredith episode of, of Night Gallery. Oh, well. I loved watching yeah, it. Yeah, because yeah. it was made in the 60s and 70s, and like, Burgess Meredith was on everything TV in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. With a yeah. face like his, why wouldn't you put him on your show? Right? <laughs> well, I do think if, if people are up for it, you know, I, I don't want to do Night Gallery every episode. I'd like to break up and cover different shows at different times, but, but at some point, I think doing, you know, the John Aston episodes and talking about oh, just John yeah. Aston and, and oh. television and horror television a little bit would be a really fun conversation. Because he's on Night Gallery, Meredith I think, two or three John times. John Aston both have appeared on Batman, one mm-hmm. of my favorite That's right. shows. Oh my. And also, from I was looking I was looking up on uh, the episode list on Wikipedia, and it also looks like John Aston directed one or two episodes of oh, really? Night Gallery as well. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll have to, you know, it looks like there's one called uh, The House in the first season, and um, but I definitely remember watching, um, and it lists, it lists him as, it. Rod Sterling wrote it, and it lists him as the director for that episode. So, huh. he must have been pretty tight with Rod Sterling and, and those guys, because he participated he do, in the show a lot. Was he on any Twilight episodes? Twilight Zone? Uh, you know, I don't know. I'd imagine so, but, yeah, I don't know for yeah. sure. Alright. So, shall, is that... Shall we move on to yes the the Steven Spielberg directed part two called Eyes I believe yeah that yeah. pre pre Jaws pre yeah. Jaws yeah well, I think that was like one of his one of his first big big breaks in that is this before Duel or I think so I think Duel was seventy or seventy one okay yeah so this is one of probably one of the earliest things he did who has IMDb open. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I left my phone in the other room. Well, Anyways, we'll just say it's his very first directorial yeah, debut. Yeah. It, and no, we'll lie. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's his first, but it was early in his career, and, and it was, again, written by Rod Serling, and it stars Joan Crawford, Mommy Dearest herself. <laughs> fantastic. Another great over-actor. Yeah, yes. yeah, she's yeah. excellent. So I'm this. wondering, then, this is obviously post- Straight jacket. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, Probably but by, would... what, about 10 years, maybe? Yeah, or... I think so, yeah. yeah. But the early 60s. then I'm wondering if this is around the same time as uh, so we Trog. She's in the movie Trog. Oh, I never yeah, saw that. We, 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 yeah, we there's were Trog and there's a Lady in the Cage, and I think Lady in the Cage is also in color, so... Yeah. Well, she did a. We just recently watched a William Castle movie that she did. Um, is I love Straight Jacket. Yeah. She's great in that. Um, but there's one called. Oh, uh, I, I know what you. I saw what you did. It's like I, I know who you are. I know who you are. Yeah. 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 And she's in that. Movie. It's good. Yeah. She loves I that really movie. I really liked it. Well, I love William and Castle. And she's great in it. I mean, she's playing the character she always plays yeah so, it's not a straight straight jacket level performance a self-absorbed evil well she's not self-absorbed in that one she's more absorbed in the guy in but yeah she's but she's not a main character she's a kind of kind of slightly obnoxious side character in that, but, but she she plays that that same character where she's gonna get hers and she's gonna get hers any way she can oh yeah sure. they, well, they play her very uh innocent in Baby she, Jane, right? Does she slap anyone in that movie? I'm trying to remember. She uh, slaps yes, people yes, a lot. Yes, she <laughs> That's does. a thing she does. She does. Um, she doesn't slap anybody in this episode, by the way. <laughs> well, uh, which we're and, and I didn't see I any Rod wire hangers. Right. <laughs> well, it, it would have been hard for her to slap anybody. Because she's blind. Now that we're getting into the episode, okay, so, actually, it's about a woman who's blind. So, so Can't slap people. Joan Crawford uh, plays a wealthy, <laughs> a very wealthy blind woman who lives in Manhattan. And she... Um, she through a lot of bribery and blackmail and throwing some money around manages to uh, undergo an operation where she uh, gets an optic nerve transplant from a down and out uh, gambling addict who owes money mm. and is on his on his last legs because she's evil. She's, yeah, she'll do anything to get whatever well, she and wants. Do we remember what the name of the actor is who plays the man who does? Gives her the the the, uh, the donor character. Yeah, the donor oh, character. I because I can't think of his name, but we were naming off different things when he came on screen. He was uh, Sheriff Amos Tupper on uh, Murder She Wrote, and he was on Happy Days. Mr. Oh, he's just always this lovable totally guy. Yeah. He's such a lovable character, and he just you, you when you see him, you're like, oh no, it not looks, that guy. Like, don't it, hurt it, him. He you know? looks a lot like my dad. I was like, oh yeah. I was like, oh very uncanny so because you know it's a night gallery episode it features a really nice portrait of of her you know joan crawford's character that looks rather like well done looked like yeah and And she's a collector of art Mm -hmm. she's a a wealthy blind art collector (laughs) yeah which i understand the bus not as much she's got a lot of paintings yeah Probably because people told her they were they were great, you right. know, and they're oh, valuable. She so, but, but I guess I guess maybe the assumption is that she could see, then was blind for some. I, I thought they I reason. thought they meant no. They said she was blind, she was blind, blind from, from birth, birth. So which she's always oh, been blind. Yeah, which is something that I have to nitpick here because I it's been a while since my neurology class, but I'm pretty sure that you can't. You know, just give somebody sight with an eye transplant if they've been blind since birth. I think I think no. that part of your brain starts doing other stuff after that long. Well, you'd mentioned that uh, this episode 
or this part of the episode is more science fiction yes, story. Yes. And that's definitely, that, that would be the science fiction part because it's not possible to do what they do. And, and the, the um, transplant only allows her to have about 12 hours of sight. So it's kind of this whole situation of, gosh, is this worth it? You know, this poor man gives up his eyesight for the rest of his life for not very much money because they're exploiting his desperation. And then Mm. she's not going to get a lifetime of sight out of this. She's going to get... Which shows how desperate both he and her her are. Although she does end up getting a lifetime of sight out of it, actually. Tom Bosley. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Oh. Yeah. Good job, Andy. That's right. And DB to the rescue. Indeed. Yeah. Well, it wasn't really me. I can't take credit for that. No, but you, you whipped out your phone and looked it up. Mm. So, you know. I was interested when she's she's talking with a doctor that's going to do the procedure. And he's got he's got his Hippocratic Oath that he's got to stick to. He said I to steal sight from somebody else and give it to somebody I couldn't do it. I I couldn't do it. I would kill a child before I would do that. Which, which really, wow, that's a weird priority. But right, right, right. You got there. You got there. Kill a child. Yeah, kill a child or or stealing a man's man's eyesight. You know, totally, totally hand in hand. (laughs) Blind a dude, kill a kid. I'll I'll kill a kid. But 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 here's the thing. In a way, you could argue. I don't want to get into a moral debate about this. (laughs) But she. Coerces him into performing the surgery. Oh, that's right. Because yes. she has blackmail on him where he had a mistress and he persuaded her to go get a back alley abortion. And Which. she, you know, so he did kill a child. And also, didn't I, she die on the table? I'm trying to remember. No, she, she, she died from complications. From complications because right. it was a bad surgery. Yeah. So Here's he killed, I don't understand. killed two, killed a, an unborn child and a young woman. At the same time. I just, yeah. uh, uh, yeah, you know, she's like, oh, and she, she hands him the envelope. I thought, oh, okay, he's got a mistress or something like that. And, yeah. You know, she's got blackmail. And he pulls it out, he's looking. Super dark turn. <laughs> yeah, very. <laughs> well, well, then she says abortion. And I'm in this movie. This is from 1969. Yeah. And, and I just wrote in my notes, I just wrote, abortions? Whoa! <laughs> well, it was Zoinks. Rod Sterling. Rod Sterling was a big fan of the social comedy. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Absolutely, sure. yeah. But I just I just was impressed that that was yeah. it's a, a topic that they were willing to touch with. Well, they would throw all kinds of stuff like that on TV back then. Yeah. Like, you watch, like, old episodes of Good Times... And there's stuff like that on Good Times, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Different strokes, isn't it? Different strokes, yeah. Or the the uncle drinking the vanilla. Oh, the family. You're talking about the Family Ties episode where the alcoholic uncle drinks the vanilla extract, which is one of the things I remember most about that show for some reason. I don't remember that. I remember thinking. I love the smell of vanilla extract, but it doesn't taste good. And I was like five or six, you know, when that was on TV. So mm. it was just, it kind of went over my head as to the, the desperate alcoholism. But yeah, you know. We used to live in a slightly worse neighborhood in Portland. And we I <laughs> always find in the neighborhood, in the gutters, discarded, stolen vanilla extract bottles. <laughs> Do they steal from Safeway? Well, yeah, because there was a Safeway just down the street. And they could easily steal vanilla extract oh. bottles 
because they just fit in your pocket and they're really high alcohol for the size. Never of them. almonds to but, change it up. But uh, <laughs> where the local liquor store was heavily barred and you couldn't touch the liquor, it was all behind. Mm. Like most other liquor stores in this state, you can happily look at all the labels of your <laughs> liquor options. This one, you have to stand behind a fence and then ask the person to retrieve a bottle for you. Well, vanilla extract is, that's a pretty specific thing. See, down by where I worked, uh, it was uh, Listerine. Oh. Because you, you steal Listerine from a 7-Eleven. Oh, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's if you're going in bulk, I guess. <laughs> there you go. This is taking a turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, Move let's... to Portland. It's <laughs> just like the show. <laughs> oh, man. Which show would that be? Anyways, <laughs> we're not covering episode, that show. On the next episode of Other Ways to Get Drunk. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes, so she blackmails multiple people into giving her eyesight for 12 hours, which I always thought was really weird that they kept, like, doing that. It's for 12 hours. I mean, it pays off in the end. You know why. Mm -hmm. um, but a very specific number of a thing that's never been done before, but they know for sure it's going to be 11 to 12 hours right. of eyesight. Because, because We've never done this before. We did it on a dog and a cat. The yeah. cat got it for three hours, and the dog got four hours. So, so obviously a human's going to get 12. <laughs> Do the yeah. math. Because your eyeballs are so much bigger. Like, I mean, cats and dogs can't communicate to you that they're seeing. I'm sure there'd be a shift in their behavior maybe, but you wouldn't necessarily, especially back then, like there's not really a way to monitor sight is still happening. I mean, I don't know, maybe because a cat would be, you know, well, his probably, eyes would be darting around a room wildly. Well, they obviously they implied see. a laser pointer. And <laughs> that time, exactly. Once yeah. the cat finally stopped chasing the laser pointer, they knew that its eyesight was gone. They had laser well, pointers in 1969. Now I'm just imagining the cat is really bumming me out. <laughs> <laughs> Poor cat. <laughs> Poor blind cat. So, so, so back, back to uh, Miss Crawford. So... I, did you notice, I, I don't think there was quite as much of a soft focus in the previous segment with the cemetery. It seemed like there was a lot of, like, gauzy soft focus to the way this was shot. And I don't know if it's just to sort of make Joan Crawford look like the ethereal uh, old rich lady in her, you know, like, kind of make her look queen-like or It might have just been and, in her contract, too. Uh, that's also true. Because uh, it was yeah. later yeah. in her it life. It was very soft-lit, so yeah. she's, it's hard to, you know, like, she I, looks great. I'll bet that's Because she is, looks the same yeah. as she looks in those, like, 19, early 60s films, yeah. and, you know, she's got 10 years on her mm. since those ones. It was distracting me a little bit, but it is... It is a really well shot segment, and um, and it's it's her mostly shot in her apartment where she's got all of her artwork lined up and ready she's for viewing. ready to see all of her possessions, and she's gonna you know commit this all to memory so she can reflect back later when the eyesight is gone again. And she's gonna take or uh, mental photographs of everything oh, for yes. a lifetime of enjoyment. That's her plan. And she's, she, for whatever reason, decided to plan this procedure so that her recovery and unveiling is at night. Yes. I don't think she planned that. I think she just over, she didn't think of it, you know? Yeah, well, her, if you're not someone who sees that, probably you. probably don't you, think about you know, the fact maybe. that you might want to see more stuff during the daytime. And the doctor's pissed at her, so he's not going to say, hey. Well, and mainly <laughs> I think she's just obsessed with her freaking art collection. 
Because that's yeah. all she wants to see. Right. She has everything lined up. She's going to mm-hmm. remember all she of her art. She also wanted to see Central Park. Central Park, though. yeah. Well, because right. she has but a view of Central and, Park. Well, I also think she was planning on maybe stepping out into the night at some point. That may be a, just kind of like a night on the town under the beautiful city lights. She does say to the yeah. doctors, say hello to me and introduce yourself. That's because right. I've never seen, seen your face. Oh, I've never seen, yeah. I like that. You I know he wouldn't, like, though. No. <laughs> he would have just walked on by. Well, after all the stuff she'd done? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you don't warmly greet your, your blackmailer. No. Right. At least, at least, you know, I don't think most people would. Maybe. How's it going? <laughs> so, there she is waiting for to see her, all her paintings, and then she has them turn on the light. Even though they tell her that she should start slow. <laughs> yeah. t- she turns on all the lights and then, well, she stares straight at the chandelier <laughs> when she takes off her, her thing. Her gauze. Her gauze. Mm-hmm. And then you get that, that tease, that, um, you don't know what's going on right away because she loses her vision and everything goes dark. Yes. And, and you have this wonderful sequence, which was probably my favorite part of this yes. whole segment with... Her, um, Joan Crawford in her dress is the only thing that's lit. Right. And she's wandering around and bumping into things against a flat black background. And it's one of the best, best visual representations of what it must, must be like to be blind that I've ever seen. Because well, it was great. Yeah. And, and the great thing about how they just, they kind of hoodwink you there is you totally, as a person who has seen, sorry to any, well... Anyways, as a person to, who's who's seen their whole life, you wouldn't want to be just looking right at a light bulb, you know? Like, that's going to uh, ruin your sight. Yeah. And the first time I watched it, I remember thinking, like, you're staring at a bright light, you're going to screw up the eyesight well, you that, just yeah. got. I would think it would hurt, and right. that you would just, even if you're not cognizant of, I shouldn't look at this, that you would reflexively just... Right. Look away or blink. So I thought, Even when you get up in the middle of the night to go right. to the bathroom and turn on the light. Yeah. I thought no. she looked straight at the light bulb and then screwed up the eyes because mm. she didn't know any better. And she, for some reason, wanted to be alone during all this. I guess because she has no friends because she's a horrible, horrible woman. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so then there's that great scene. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And I think uh, it made me think, I wonder if... Because I'm just so used to Joan Crawford being brunette. Or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe black hair. I'm not sure, but maybe right, that's right, right. why she's blonde. In she's kind of like a dishwater blonde. Uh, right. In this sequence, just that I to thought, catch I w- that to catch the contrast, because then maybe if mm-hmm. it's so mm-hmm. contrast with otherwise black... she'd look like the headless horseman wandering around. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's maybe. But that was, yeah, the, the, this shot, that that whole sequence, and the the sequence with the. Um, what was his character's name? Uh, Sidney Resnick. The, oh, yes. Yeah, uh, the gambler guy. Uh, that sequence where he's on the carousel. Oh, the merry-go-round. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, he's, and he's just looking at it and uh, he's just getting watching dizzy. the world go by. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I thought the twist was going to be. I thought there was going to be something in his eyes, like wrong with his eyes, where he gets the eye transplant and then, you know, she opens her eyes the first oh. time and she gets terrible vertigo and makes her <laughs> sick and she can't stand anything and... Uh, that is not how this turned out. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been fun. That, that, that would have yeah. been a fine twist. But Watching Joan Crawford spin.
spin around. Yeah, she's well, got and, constant vertigo. And you could have ended the episode in the exact same way. You know? Or, you yeah. know, you could have even... <laughs> like, I also thought of all those, you know, the the evil transplants, you know, where you got a hand from oh. a murderer yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yes. you get the eyes... Get the eyes of a of a compulsive gambler. Oh, Are you gonna a... like go straight down to the bookie and? That, no. is, a, that is a movie though. Is that just baby and oh, oh, that part. Body parts. Yes. <laughs> that would have been a fine twist too if she if right. she's suddenly seized by a compulsion to go gamble and loses oh, yeah. all of her wealth she and her art. She sees a bookie and plays well, it all. Also, no. Isn't that the eyes of Laura Mars? Isn't that that Tommy there's, Jones movie? There's a there's lot of like movies that. that do the transplanted body part goes wrong. I don't think there's any transplant in that i think that's just she's a photographer and models around her getting killed oh you're um, right yeah and no eye transplant. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's what the premise of that it's been a while since i've seen that one with faye dunaway who incidentally played joan crawford and mommy dearest so you know nice comes full circle nice good job chris <laughs> nice yeah i love mommy dearest and i've heard i've heard movie. some stories that faye dunaway was just as is monstrous offset as she was on set. Oh, so I don't know. Well, I mean, she's just in character. There uh-huh. you go. She's, she's very she's method. method. Yeah, yeah, she's a method actress. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. So then after her bumping around in the dark in that great, well lit, perfect shot sequence. Great lighting in this show. Yeah. Great lighting. Yeah. Um. That's when you find out that no, she didn't just lose her eyesight again. But there's a blackout. <laughs> yeah, New they, York has just had a blackout. Perfect timing. Yeah, New York City is completely oh, man. dark. Perfect timing. Up and comings right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's the blackout. There's really not too much of the blackout scene. It's basically enough scene to let you know. Establish it. And yeah. On the the cruel joke on her. That... Yeah, and, and she apparently passes out or goes to sleep or well, something. Right. She gives yeah. up. She's tired. She goes to bed. <laughs> she she manages to make her way home. Yeah. If she hadn't been freaking out and she looked out her window, she would have seen headlights. Right. You know, she would have seen enough to know, oh, I should get a candle or I should go oh. out down to the street. Well, and... she must have not been able to see the because the window was cracked already. Well, it was so... cracked because she was thrashing. Oh, that's right. She yeah. was throwing things. She had a tantrum. That that's right. It. She was throwing she may She may also not have known that cars had headlights. That's as, true, as a, as a but she would have person. seen some some light and known that she would have saw some yeah, she, she would have seen something that she's were... seeing. I guess yeah. that's my point is that she wouldn't necessarily known what she was seeing, but she would have seen light down below and right. some shadows of people and realized. But that she, she doesn't. That her eyes. It's it's because it's because her suite is so high in this tower. Yeah, yeah that's right. true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, I look down at the little people. <laughs> right. So. And she goes to sleep in her tower, and she wakes up to the sunrise over mm-hmm. Central Park, which is a lovely scene. Yes. And then again, the same thing she did that bugged me when she first took off the gauze. Yeah, she, she stares at the sun. Directly at the just sun. straight at the sun. <laughs> Drew was on patrol during the recent eclipse to make sure no one was doing this. Yes. Right, yeah. <laughs> you just don't do that. No. I don't care if that's where the fun is. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, I went there. You, you don't look directly into the eye of the sun. Mm. Uh, but she does. She does. And, and, and big surprise, she begins to lose her sight. And then she, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy, she does take all her visions and memorize them till the very end. 
because as she's staring into the sun, she pushes through her cracked window that she cracked from thrashing in anger and falls to her doom. Right down and, and then yeah. there it is. What I liked to this being a Rod Serling thing mm-hmm. written, um, it has echoes of because because then her eyesight is going. She's saying it's not fair. It's not fair. Right. Echoes of that Burgess Meredith. Right. Episode. That you mentioned earlier. Yeah. I totally was gonna bring that up. Yeah. Because then he easily breaks his glasses and he mm-hmm. can't see. And he says it's not fair. It's not fair. And I was like, oh, oh. That's, that's good. And somewhere that's in the back good. of my mind, I hear Dad's voice saying, Life isn't fair. Where <laughs> is it written that life is fair? <laughs> right. Uh, also, Peter Falk in Never Ending Story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's less, less annoying, though, when it's, not, when it's a kindly grandpa in a fairy tale movie and not, not your parent. But, yeah. you know, you that's, get the point. <laughs> that's, all, that's also really bumming me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well... You guys ready to talk about the last segment? Yes, going to yeah, the last part segment. Part three, covering right. one of my favorite topics, Nazis on the Run. Yay, yeah. This one Nazis is, on is the run. titled Escape Route and also written by Rod Serling. I forgot to mention the first segment's director. Um, I'm reading this off of Wikipedia, so if I'm butchering the pronunciation, I'm very sorry. It was written by someone named Boris Segal. Maybe... Am I saying that right, do you think? I think it's probably Seagal. Yeah. Anyway, S-A-G-A-L. And uh, and this third this third one, I, d- I don't want to just mention Steven Spielberg because, you know, he's the most known director of this pilot. But um, the Escape Route director was uh, Barry Shear. And it is about a, uh, a fugitive Nazi who's hiding in... He's in Argentina, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. Buenos Aires. He's, right. he's, he's on the lam uh, and avoiding, trying to avoid uh, prosecution. And he is played by Richard Kiley. And he, um, he's having nightmares. He's living in a rat hole apartment complex, some type of flop house next door to a prostitute who knows his identity and likes what to taunt him. What was the term he used a for A lady of commerce. A lady of commerce. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great way of saying she was a prostitute. Yes. A lady a of commerce. Yeah. Yeah. And he, just from the opening scene, I, they, they establish his character very, very well because he obviously has, you know, some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, as yeah, you should. As you should. You know, he was obviously like a, a, an SS officer and not someone who you should feel a lot of sympathy for. He was this running... Like a burn mark or a scar on Yeah. I thought the makeup was really great. Yeah, but as he's as he's waking up from what is obviously a nightmare, his fan is reminding him of tank and battle sounds, and he hears a drip in his faucet, which is reminding him of boots marching in time and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and chants and people. It's, it's, it's very good. They establish his character... Almost immediately with this stuff, you know exactly who he is and what's going it's, on. With it's him. a well, you know what it is. It's a very budget conscious way of establishing that mm-hmm. just through sound instead of having to make an elaborate. Uh, right. If he a had a dream sequence, yeah. 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 If he had a nightmare that he woke up from, yeah, you know, they'd have definitely. to like cast that and do all that. Right. It costs a lot of money, but just through sound. But this is, I, I think, this might even have that. been more effective than that, honestly. Because honestly, you, yeah, 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 because it's more, yeah. Yeah, 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 and you feel more, you know, mm-hmm. for the. I mean, you. Well, and it's leaving it up to the imagination. It's like the age-old um, 
the monster movies that have so little budget they can't even afford to try and make a monster. Oh, right. yeah. So it's just a shadow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those monsters are so much scarier than when they get enough budget to kind of make a monster, mm-hmm. but it's not a great monster. No, it's, you know. Yeah. It's zapped. Left or... to the imagination, it's so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Learn from that, new horror filmmakers. Come on. I think there's <laughs> some people out there who understand and that. Stop it with the CGI fire. <laughs> And yes. blood. And CGI blood. CGI fire and blood. Oh, and CGI know, balloons. Uh, you know what had CGI... Oh, yeah, CGI balloons. Uh, you know what had C... It oh, jeez. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know what had CGI blood was um, um, Midnight Meat Train. Did you guys see I that? No, I never saw that. It's good, but... Sounds pornographic. Uh, <laughs> 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 It's based on a it's based on a Clive Barker's short story. Oh, and, of course yeah, it is. The short yeah. story is great, and the movie is actually pretty good. But boy, CG blood all over the place, and I was like, oh, "Come on!" Like, it's really upsetting. Oh, Anyways, no. that's my rant. There. It's just yeah. really like, how hard could it be? I understand that some practical effects take a lot of time and money to produce, but also really good computer graphics are also very expensive and time-consuming. Right. And little things like blood and fire. Just you just need a condom, some, some fake blood, and a squib. Like, <laughs> like, you know, well, it's not yeah. that hard. And the recipes to make convincing fake blood, they don't consist of expensive things. It's no. not hard. And they're all over the internet. It could be just kind of like a, in case we got to do a reshoot so we can, you know, pick the... <sighs> you know, we, we can film it without blood and then add it later. It looks like laziness. So yeah. back to this episode. <laughs> yes. He's he's having horrible nightmares because he did horrible evil things. And he wants to not have to feel guilty and everything. And how does he... How he does wants he, inner peace. Yeah, and how does he end up in the museum? He's being he's, followed or chased, right? Or imagining he's being yeah. chased, at least. Right, because there are well, two... the beginning. Yeah. Right. Two agents that are kind of... He has some off and on again weird hallucinations too. Yeah. But there right. are two agents after him. Because I think, well, of course, then at that time, uh, there were a lot of Nazis that had escaped right. World War Two, and we're living in South America. Like, right. It was a very, yeah. very probably Joseph Mengele. I think. Of the... So I was trying to f- figure out um, historical context for that. I was like, well, had they had they caught Eichmann yet? And they do say. Uh, well, we got Eichmann. Or, or... Yeah, well, and he's supposed to be the, the next highest person the, on, right. on yeah. the list of people to capture. Mm. Um, but yeah, so he, he escapes into this uh, combination art and history and zoological museum. It's got it it's, all. It's got it all. There's... It's, it's the museum museum, yeah. I think. <laughs> right. I think they're housing famous museum exhibits. It, okay. Because <laughs> there's this, this museum features... Um, a holocaust, a single holocaust painting. Right. Um, a really grisly one. A, a really and a grisly holocaust, uh, A crucifixion holocaust painting, yeah. which is an interesting, not one, not a subject you would think instantly of holocaust crucifixion. Yeah. Um, but, and they keep this painting right next to the reconstructed bones of a couple of dinosaurs, which is apparently in the room... Right next to oh, where they keep their credit the there. Yeah, they're like right. their oh, safari yeah, they're, exhibit. The, the, the right. Taxidermy yeah, you go straight life. from taxidermy giant cats into uh, 
into dinosaur bones, bones. a holocaust painting, and immediately adjacent the holocaust painting, a lovely painting of a man fishing. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, a a, a quiet, you know, scenic... It's the only (laughs) non-threatening thing in the whole museum that we show. Which is probably why he got drawn towards the man fishing. Let's look at the dinosaur skeleton. What's that? Oh, 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 don't look at that painting. Yeah. (laughs) Don't want to explain that. Just some disturbing imagery of yeah, World yeah. War II. Nothing, nothing to worry about, young we'll man. Tell, we'll tell you that when you're 12. Uh, yeah. So our, our, our main character wanders into this painting and is, uh, as, as Drew said there, transfixed by this serene, peaceful painting of a man just, you know, kind of in a... A man fishing. A man fishing. On a uh, sunny day. Mm-hmm. And uh, he begins to see himself in this painting. Well, uh, he imagines him, himself in yes. the painting. He... He feels that's like his main goal in life all of a sudden. Yes. He wants to be that painting. Which is, you know, you could see where a person tormented by all their past doings that just wants to not be the horrible person they yeah. were mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. would want to live a fantasy life of that. And really yeah. those those memories then are amplified when he runs into what was the character's name? Bloom. 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 And Bloom has, uh, is a survivor He's of He's a survivor, Auschwitz. yeah. Yeah. And he recognizes him. Yes. Not, not our main character who is, um, oh, his character's name. I can only remember the, the fake name, the His, his Strobel. alias, Herr, Herr Struber. Yeah, Herr Struber. Anyways, uh, he doesn't recognize Bloom, but the other way around because you remember who tortured right you you remember the guy who who sent people all your friends to death does he kind of pull it off though like he doesn't he he doesn't quite recognize him he tells him like he doesn't recognize him as a nazi or something right 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 you remind me of somebody that was was in the camp to try and trick him Mm -hmm. into saying oh yes but no he's he's pretty good at hiding his nazism Nazism, that's a word, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, he's pretty good at hiding his Nazism, and he tells him, no, he's from Hungary. No, nothing right. to do with that evil war. Yeah. Um, and yeah, except for the history of Hungary, that's not And, <laughs> and yeah. so, so then goes about his way, and he keeps, after that, coming back to view this painting multiple times yes and for for several hours he's the, he's there in one scene from 9 a.m to 7 p.m he's staring he at the, the entire day yeah. he just really wants to get a rowboat I, I just want to interject with something so i've seen this a few times before but this time around it made me think of an episode of parks and recreation no <laughs> oh with yeah, the, yeah, the field of well no 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 there's a so there's an episode i think it's in like season two, it's called the camel where the entire department has to come up with a mural idea and they can't come up with something that anyone can agree on. And so they get Mark, the guy who is the, um, he's the city planner and he's, you know, got basic architectural and drawing skills. So he, he goes and, uh, he draws, he draws up a plan for them of just a man feeding ducks in a park. And, and, you know, it's, it's, that's what it made me think of. I just mm-hmm. thought, oh, well, this is also kind of like that hotel room art. It's peaceful. It's nicely done. It's not controversial. 
who wouldn't want to just go be that man in the park feeding the ducks? And so I just kind of thought of that. And then, you know, Ron Swanson comes in and he's like, I like this. It comforts me. That will win. And so I just thought of that one. And I just thought, well, of course this tormented guy wants to be in a boat fishing. You know, hell, I, I'm not, you know, someone I would consider tormented, but I would like to be in a boat fishing on a sunny day. I mean, not so much the fishing part, but the boat and the well, sunny day. Well, I think the figure is, especially helps that the figure, the figure in the boat does bear, I mean, although his head is turned, right. he bears a striking resemblance. Well, yeah. and then he starts seeing the head turn towards him, yes. and it's his face. Yes. And then there's one point where he seems to have really gone off the deep end or taken some major hallucinogens and the yeah. painting starts moving and changing and, colors and also there's sounds what, what it is are sounds what yeah. it is is um it's it's maybe it's the producer or the director or whatever going uh what's that effect you know in 2001 can we do that you know something <laughs> at the end you know because that's what it looks like it has that weirdly embossed psychedelic reverse right. colors kind of thing I mean, um, we've got the technology. Let's freaking use it. We have it. a yeah, light guy from the Fillmore. We can use him yeah. for an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, do that, do that trip stuff. The kids love it. Mm-hmm. Yes, during, a, during these sequences where he's transfixed by this painting, you start to get the feeling that either he's, he's cracking up in a major way or there may be something going on where he's having a connection with this scene. Right. This, this image he's seeing. Which I, I feel like he's doing both. Yes. You know, he's cracking up, but he's also actually getting to almost a kind of a higher power. You know, he's a higher level of consciousness. Yeah. It's very the cerebral, pa- uh, you the know. The painting yeah. has its yeah. own, the painting has its own siren song that affects, right. that, yeah. that mm-hmm. attracts his. And so then after a long conversation with his, uh, his neighbor, the lady of. Of commerce, who who loves just adores tormenting this. Oh guy. yeah, she's she's got kind of like if it wasn't for the fact that he was a Nazi, and yeah. people are always just like, yeah, sure, pick on the Nazi. Um, right. She would be an evil, evil character. Oh yeah, and, I mean she is. She's a pretty horrible person. Yeah, to just like she's well, she's, she's in. A- She's a down and out prostitute. Her right. life is not happy, so True. she probably she feels gets a her enjoyment where she can mm-hmm. and torturing Nazis yeah. is how she does it. Yeah, she's yeah. not punching them. And and we should say the, the <laughs> only just, reason yeah. that they speak is because she also speaks German, and so maybe oh, that's right. why yeah. that she's also a native German person. That scene in that scene where they talk to each other, they're in separate rooms. And oh, it's a great shot. Yeah, yeah. it's such a oh, great yeah. shot because it's filmed like they, they, they built it on one soundstage and right. they just put a really thin wall. And they're like literally you just talking to each other. Yeah, yeah. And it's just shot so well. And, they and play it's a well fairly long scene, no yeah. cuts or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. acted really well. It's another thing about this this pilot is there's some really good acting yeah yeah there really 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 isn't a weak performance yeah she almost really steals she certainly steals that scene but i think she almost kind of steals that the whole sequence yeah Mm -hmm. uh, the that segment that story because it's just such a standout multi-layered performance you know so after 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 that sequence, it's a little blurry for me because I was I was starting to drift towards oh. the end of this one here. <laughs> Andy's but, had a long day. <laughs> uh, but he um, 
he goes to a bar, he gets pretty fed up, and he gets pretty drunk, and he starts singing the German national anthem. Yeah, uh, something you don't do when you're on the run. Yeah, and trying, and trying not to yeah. not be yeah. a Nazi. Try to not get arrested for When you're telling crimes. people you're Hungarian, uh, yeah. you, you don't want to go around singing the the pride of, of Germany. Well, yeah. I think uh, I think alcohol definitely had a hand in his oh, yeah. uh, judgment there. And then he was like... Yeah, everyone and, was so happy and having and a good time luckily, at that bar. Luckily in that bar was also our good friend... It's Bloom, right? Bloom, Bloom. yeah. Okay. Uh, our good friend Bloom is in that bar, and of course he knows right away what's going on. Yes. And then he confronts him, which I feel like if I was Bloom, I don't know if I would have confronted him right away. Yeah. No. Yeah, um, a dangerous on-the-run Nazi war criminal. Yeah, which was, doesn't work out well for Bloom. Who's clearly no. younger and stronger. Right. Does, but, yeah. does he kill him? There? Yes. Okay. So our, I'm pretty like, sure Bloom's dead at the end of that scene. Okay. Yeah. But Bloom yeah, tells him, you know, because he threatens Bloom, and Bloom tells him that he's perfectly fine with meeting his maker. He's made his peace. Yes. And uh, good luck with you, basically. Yeah. yeah like, and, good luck with I'm your peace. And that's that's a recurring theme in this one, is both both the um, the Lady of Commerce and Bloom both tell this guy directly, like, you're never going to find peace. You're, right. you know, you're an abhorrent person. It's not coming for you. Yeah. Your time to go fishing was a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. That would have been a better choice. You missed your, yeah. your opportunity it for your robot. Literally missed the boat. Oh, and she brings that up. She, yeah. she brings that up to him about, you know, you've done all these awful things and mm -hmm. you've got all this power and now all you want is a rowboat. Yep. All you want. You could have had a rowboat a long time ago. Oh, then he says, does he say, like, go to hell? And she says, oh, after you. Right, <laughs> right, right, right after you. Um, so yeah, he goes from, from his, uh, after killing poor Bloom, uh, then the agents, we haven't talked about much, but they don't really, they're not really too much in this. No, they, they just appear to be like local Argentinian police officers. Right, they're just kind of like oh, background characters. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know if they were. were they that or were they like FBI kind I didn't know or if they were CIA FBI, kind CIA, of thing? Or, or, or whatever, uh, whatever it was back then. Uh, well, or the, uh, Wiesenthal said. The Simon yeah. Wiesenthal Center, because... I'm not huge in my history on those oh, guys. They still do... Um, Simon Wiesenthal was a Nazi hunter after the war. Oh. And uh, they eventually opened a center, and they did research, and they would they would look up... Uh, like, they tried to find where Meng Mengele was. I think they helped in getting Eichmann. Yeah. Um, was Wiesenthal the, run, the one that wrote The Sunflower? I might be somebody else. Maybe. Are you thinking Ellie Wiesel? No, he wrote Night. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And and as, I think even, wasn't it a, a few years ago, it was five, ten years ago, and they found some guy in Pittsburgh or something that was a Nazi guard and was living quietly, and then they finally put two and two together and were like, oh, and, and they arrested him, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, brought him to trial, but as up and coming. I think as yeah, and so I think as more and more elderly Nazis right die now they're they're sort of like the Southern Poverty Law Center where they're fighting prejudice and hate. And right, but, but so these they're kind of minor characters, even though they're they're a major plot point of this whole thing. The the agents that are chasing him or trying to find him, they find him in the alley just, you know, 
seconds too late for poor Bloom. I really feel bad for Bloom. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they chase him, and of course, he escapes enough, and the first place he goes is, of course, the museum. Yes. The Museum of Museums. Yes. <laughs> and, and it should be noted, he, he sneaks into the museum through the loading bay, where there's obviously a bunch of art being moved around and... Foreshadowing. And yes. There's, 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 there's a, a foreshadowing, foreshadowing there. of the fact that art's being moved everywhere. Yes. Yes. He should have noticed that. He should have. But he so, was drunk uh-huh. and but there's frenzied. Also that, there's also that great chase music, though. We can't ignore it. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, and the, the whole sequence of the freeze The kind frame. of exotica yeah. bossa nova. Yeah. Well, it, before that, before that, he says something about, oh, you recognize me now, and there's a thunder crash, and there's these brief cut-in shots of a younger... Oh, him. right, 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 like a... a yeah. Almost yeah. transparent back-and-forth fade, you Yeah, it's yeah. like his SS uniform. Yeah. So, uh, they do that, and that's cool, and then there's the exciting chase sequence, and they're running around, and, uh... It's got... It's great. It's the, the exotica kind of music, because, because it's South America, so it's very percussive-based, mm-hmm. and, uh... It really heightens the tension a lot, and uh, it's a masterful score for that, I think. Yeah. That one but definitely, yes, the, sorry. That one definitely probably won for, like, score, you know, the sound. Totally, yeah. Although I do love the, the weird, moogie, electronic yeah. cat noises from the very first, <laughs> well, so from I think the what, cemetery. Whatever that, weird, whatever that weird riff is in, during the chase, I think that probably was a, was a mode, too. Yeah. So. so, yeah. So the chase goes into the back door of the museum, because you know, of course, he's going straight for that museum. He's learned how to transport himself into paintings for brief moments. He's going to go for the gold. He goes straight to his painting and starts I'm trying to remember what he's yelling. He's like, he's take, praying, take me now, think. like, please. Yeah. Basically, put, yeah. Put me in the painting or something. Yeah, right. He's praying to be praying put, into, to the be put into the painting before him. And, and I guess the lighting quality then must not be that great. Well, it was, well, it was night. It was closed. All the lights were off. And right. Yeah. And he's, he's memorized the layout. The so light, he goes exactly, straight yeah. for where his painting is. And then that's where that foreshadowing comes in, mm-hmm. and uh, they, nice. the well, the agents that were chasing him mm-hmm. come up to him just moments too short because he's disappeared and he into thin air. As yeah, he screams. You hear a, a blood curdling scream, and he disappears into nothing. And then they turn the lights on, and uh, that's when you hear some talk about, uh, oh, whatever happened to the. Oh, that painting, the, the oh, it must have the been man a loner. Oh, that was a loner. The man in the boat was a loner. Oh, God, they replaced it with the dun-dun-dun. Yeah. It's, it's the Holocaust crucifixion. crucifixion. Oh, no. And you keep hearing slight moanings in the background. Yeah. That's I the creepiest that. part, is that the painting is now moaning. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, he's and, in it. And the officers can hear it. There's there's a great scene at the end there where it moans, and they both just turn and look at it. Yeah. That's right. so upsetting. Setting. And it's his face now on the crucified uh, Nazi war camp guy. Mm. Um, and 
Yeah, so now that painting is haunted forever oh. with the SS officer. And, and again, you have your, your poetic justice tied up, up in a little pack of, package there. Yeah. And the painting yeah. almost becomes a little more gruesome, I think. Just oh, because the way more gruesome. Of, yeah. Of his yeah. face and the expression. Yeah, because the painting before was kind of nondescript, very impressionistic. Yes. And then yeah. in the end, once you get to where they really put his face in there, yeah. which look a little bit pasted, but yeah, like very like, well it, done of his well, face. It looks like an Italian horror movie. Oh poster, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's like over the totally, top. Yeah. And... The cover of a Baba film. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. And that's uh, that was the pilot was of the Night pilot. Gallery. Yeah. Well, and so the pilot ends with Rod Sterling telling you the great Rod Sterling with his Sterling Sterling, <laughs> uh, his later hair, you know, because. It, oh, he uh, let it go a little more curly, and it had that kind of um, Dean Martin kind of little yes. poof at the top. Yeah. yeah, the little the little curly pompadour. Um, yeah, but he, yeah, he looks good. He looks yeah. Good. Well, in <laughs> in between everything, he he tells you you know just like he did in in Twilight Zone, he gives you the uh, the brief introductions, and then he he reveals the paintings which is a great touch i really like the reviewing of the paintings so then did he do that on me having not seen later episodes does he do that again with future episodes of night gallery it was like here's a painting i'm pretty sure every episode or every every story segment i should say episode because so i they all I have paintings. I think, you know, I watched them all on DVD. Um, I didn't, I only saw a couple broadcasts when they were doing like a revival. Every once in a while, they'd show the pilot on like a cable channel or something. Oh. Um, but, so there would be a couple story segments and he would show a painting and talk about the painting a little bit before each one. Ex- with the exception of, there were some weird, just little intervals. No, you know what? Now that I think about it, I think... Maybe there are paintings for those two, like some of the comedic shorts that aren't fully fleshed out a, stories. I think. Did Surprise have a painting? I don't. The same tree. Uh, we should have watched Surprise. It's well, a great one. well, next time, next time we're doing doing some night gallery. It's got John Carradine. It could be, you know, if you guys Sold. if you guys want to do it as a, it's short, so if you guys want to do it as a bonus on like the next episode, we could. And we it's could like seventies John Carradine. So oh. Super old, crazy old man. He's yeah, got the it's awesome. uh, the when when his his arthritis got really bad. Oh, it's, poor, poor John Carradine. Oh, I always feel bad when I see him because I'm always like, oh god, I love John Carradine. Then I always look at his hands. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Because no. like they even write about how like it was really painful for him. Yeah, but it's he just seems like at. he's having a great time. Oh yeah, no, no, he he's totally just, enjoyed you know, it. Being being the the weird old man in it, and um, and it's. It's fun, and you guys will you guys will enjoy it. And it's short, so we could tack it on to something else. But totally. yeah, is there anything else you guys wanted to talk add to before we it was wrap really, it up? It was just a really good, uh, really good movie and and series of all the stories. And uh, so I'm excited to see more from that series, having not checked it out before. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's definitely not all going to be on the level of this but some of the episodes are really really excellent um down the road really and and it has a lot to do with what rod serling had more of a hand in than others for the most part not always but like you can definitely tell the difference he was involved in a in a story or not um and 
I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen this, but there was a, a little biopic uh, years ago, actually decades ago, about Rod Sterling really? on PBS, and I don't remember what it's called, but they talk about Night Gallery a bit and talk about his creative differences with Jack Laird and the struggles and how he was, you know, there's some dissatisfaction there because he was trying to have a quality storytelling format and have something that's taken seriously and has some substance to it and there was some resistance and creative differences, you mm. know. So um, so you can kind of see where that shines through a little bit. It's it's a little bit like uh, like the Beatles when Paul and John are having their creative differences, oh, you know. Yes. I mean, it's a little like you can just tell like that one's going in one direction and the other's going in the other direction and one isn't necessarily... I mean, I'm a Sterling fan, so I, I prefer his stuff, but it's one isn't necessarily tremendously better than the other. It's different tastes, but it's definitely, there's a push-pull happening creatively that right. you can see. Um, but yeah, I I would like to revisit, you know, several more episodes down the road. Um, I... Oh, we got time. We got time. <laughs> oh, I, I forgot to mention... Um, in the introduction that uh, this podcast will be mostly a monthly podcast um, because that's what we can commit to as far as the schedule and I feel like it's more honest to commit to once a month and say oh we'll be you know twice a week and not, well, not until that money on. comes rolling in oh yeah yeah okay at least we, we hope once a month so, we'll, we'll see how together we can get this oh we can do once a month and we'll we'll do once a month and um you know and and on the off chance there might be like a bonus episode down the road we'll see we're we're new at this so so bear with us as we as we figure it out but um, I, I do think we're going to try and have a holiday-themed episode for December, and uh, it may be releasing at the same time as this one. And, you know, that just depends on adventures and editing and all, all that <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and putting together all the stuff that comes along with a new podcast. But uh, I think for December, uh, we're uh, tentatively talking about comparing and contrasting two different versions of a Tales from the Crypt story that is Christmas-themed. So stay tuned for that. And did anybody have anything that they want to promote or plug or, you know, things that they think somebody should know about that's either podcast-related, horror television-related, or, like, just a really good horror sci-fi movie something comes to mind? Promote and plug my other podcasts. Yeah, Yeah, your other podcasts. All my podcasts in my head. (laughs) Uh, well, if, if you guys want to reach out and you want to hit me up on, on Twitter, I am at the Aquasloth, uh, all one word, T-H-E-A-Q-U-A-S-L-O-T-H. Uh, and I'd love to hear your input on, on the episodes and stuff I should check out. Uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Well, and at the time of this recording, we haven't yet um, established a website or domain name or anything like that, but um, I will be making announcements as to where you can get in touch with us and see show notes and uh, related photos and links that are related to our future episodes. There will be a Haunted Davenport site coming up very soon, and I'll be sure to let everyone know the information about that. Um, And probably a Twitter as well, I think, because a lot of podcasts make good use of Twitter. Tweet that stuff. Yeah, Twitter's, yeah. Twitter's fun. And tweet requests and, and friendly things. Um, but uh, if 
you know, if you're listening to this podcast and enjoying the subject matter, I recommend a couple other podcasts that cover similar material. Um, if you like TV movies and retro television, I highly recommend the Made for TV Movie Mayhem podcast. And, you know, it's just as it sounds, it's you look up Made for TV Movie Mayhem, and it's a really good podcast that covers uh, television movies with actually quite a bit of horror television movies because there was a long stretch in the 70s and 80s where the horror supernatural themes were really prevalent in television and um, uh, Amanda Reyes is the main host for that and she and her co-hosts put together a really in-depth show and she's even written a book on the subject so she's an expert. Um, She's a little bit of a fan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's relevant to what we're doing. No, definitely. And, and it's, it's I'll, I'd relevant. also recommend, you know, if, if you're a fan of uh, 70s supernatural television and you like Kolchak, there is a podcast called The Kolchak Tapes that is dedicated to that subject in depth, and it's quite good. So, Which those... we still might like. There's probably going to be some, some we'll crossover talk, on both of these. We'll talk, I'm yeah, assuming we'll, there's going to be some Kolchak talk We'll down talk the about road. some Kolchak for sure. Absolutely. Like, that's, that's a must. But, you know, but we won't ever go in depth to the point that the Kolchak podcast is, is covering it. I just um, want to talk about vampires in Vegas, that's all. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love me some vampires okay. in Vegas. I just, I just love Darren McAvin. So, yeah, we're definitely yeah. going to, we're going to cover that for sure. But, um, yeah, thanks for listening and uh, join us next time on The Haunted Davenport. The Haunted Davenport. <laughs> <laughs>